guys, gals, non-binary pals, and welcome to the Botany After Dark podcast. My name's Rin, and today we're talking about foxglove, digitalis, and poisons. So, uh, also please check out the links in the description whether you're watching this on YouTube or your podcast service of choice for ways to help with the many global crises currently happening. Uh, I genuinely enjoy talking about poisons and how these entirely amoral compounds can be used for good or ill depending on the whims of those who interact with them. So let's do some good. Alright, with that taken care of, what is foxglove? Why is it important? What does it do or not do? And why is it called foxglove of all things? It should be a surprise to none that humans have a tendency to concoct often fantastical narratives about their surroundings, some of which have connections to the foxglove, as we'll explore in a moment. And if discussions of that sort of thing are of interest, uh, might I suggest checking out the several bookish videos on my adventure YouTube channel, which will be linked in the description down below. So, what is foxglove? Native to Europe, Western Asia, and Northwestern Africa, the plant has also expanded throughout many parts of the Americas. Foxglove, or Digitalis purpia, goes by many names. The Foxglove, the Witch's Glove, the Dead Man's Bells, the Fairy Bells, or just straight Digitalis. The plant's common name derives from many potential origins, including but not limited to fox being a corruption of folk, denoting the plant's presence in folk medicine practices. The fox's glue, as glue is the Anglo-Saxon word for bell, the German fingerhut, or thimble, and the association between the foxglove's preference for disturbed soil and their presence near a fox's burrow. Indeed, as noted in an issue of the University of Arkansas, System, uh, system Division of Agriculture's Plant of the Week in England, quote, the name foxglove appears to come from the Old English name Fox's Glofa. It comes from an old myth that foxes must have used the flowers to magically sheath their paws as they stealthily made their nocturnal raids into the poultry yards of rural folk. The association is natural for the foxgloves grew on the wooded hillside slopes that foxes choose for their dens. It's a biennial plant that grows between two and five, sometimes even six and a half feet tall, and one to two feet wide in a range of colors, usually pinkish purple, but sometimes also yellow, white, or others though many cultivars exist. The foxglove also appears happy to grow in a range of sun conditions, 
including full sun, partial sun, and partial shade. The foxglove really likes well-drained acidic soil, and as a biennial, the foxglove grows a rosette of leaves in the first year after sowing before flowering and then dying in the second year. Though there's usually enough seeds produced that the plants repopulate on their own the following growing season. Especially if the dead flower heads are allowed to fall naturally. The process is sometimes termed self-seeding as it occurs without any real outside intervention. The plant is identified as a noxious, invasive species by the USDA, though it's merely listed as abundant in Canada. Of course, it's not actively tracked either. Being a highly showy ornamental, it's often grown in gardens despite its invasive and toxic status. I've often seen foxglove or digitalis seeds listed on butterfly mix and fairy garden packets of seeds, for example. They are indeed beautiful, but they do require a certain level of awareness when you're working with them. As I've almost always had companion animals, while I appreciate such toxins, were I to grow them myself, it would need to be in an isolated garden or a greenhouse environment. Likewise, as we'll touch on later, as with all non-native species, there may be negative or otherwise unforeseen consequences to the wildlife in the region if these flowers are grown with any frequency in a particular region. Now, why is foxglove important? Why are we talking about it today? According to Kew Gardens Plants and People booklet, quote, in the 18th century, a British doctor noted that a woman had cured herself of dropsy by taking foxglove. Its heart-regulating chemicals were identified over 60 years ago, but have never been made artificially. Furthermore, in Bill Law's 50 Plants That Changed the Course of History, he states that, quote, the secret healing properties of the poisonous plant had been part of folklore for centuries, but in an age of witchcraft, it was unwise to admit it. That said, in the course of history, there are many accounts describing the usefulness of foxglove. Fox's glofa, or Gans Nostra Dame, or Our Lady's Gloves as John Gerard often called it. Incidentally, while the great and learned medical scholars of their day seem to have disregarded the efficacy of these accounts, been unaware of them entirely or otherwise, it remains that it doesn't appear until a woman reported she had used the long-standing remedy to a male doctor who then did experiments that the foxglove was given any weight as a medicinal. Interestingly, until the 1400s, the lingua medica, or language of medicine, was Latin. Those who couldn't read Latin 
had no real recourse, as not but the clergy and certain persons of higher nobility were readily taught the language. According to accounts, often even the clergy either couldn't read or at least weren't as proficient in the Latin they claimed such a knowledge of at the time. That said, once medical and herbal texts admittedly were often one and the same at the time, had been translated, the quote, country housewife who relied on hand-me-down knowledge to care for the sick was able to vastly expand the compendium of their previously accumulated knowledge. Quote, despite John Gerard's protestation, the herbal practitioner knew Dr. Foxglove to be a potent and powerful plant, as capable of killing as curing the patient. Small doses of digitalis could improve a condition, but if the ailment was a malfunction of the kidneys, the drug no longer excreted from the body gradually built up into a lethal dose. Gerard was a contemporary of the period, writing in 1597 that, quote, the foxgloves, in that they are bitter, are hot and dry, with a certain kind of cleansing quality joined therewith. Yet they are of no use, neither have they any place amongst medicines. It would appear he was indeed inaccurate on that account. <laughs> Though, as I've said multiple times, before, just because X plant does Y does not mean that it applies to every plant in that species. Growing conditions can dramatically impact and change a plant's properties. So, long story short, talk to a medical professional before attempting to self-medicate, especially when you're dealing with poisons. And just to insert a reading recommendation here, if the idea of women having a long history of knowledge in something that shouldn't be available or open or etc. to them because they're too weak or whatever contrivance those in power have decided to um, come up with, and then proving that assumption wrong, is a thing of interest. I just finished Zen Cho's Sorcerer to the Crown that delves into that in a fantasy Regency era setting. Uh, also a lot of discussion of racism in there. Also, we won't get much into witches and the systematic oppression of women, nor the association between the patriarchy and the further loss of female autonomy in this episode, but we'll get there eventually, as we will discussions of colonialism. Studying and describing the interconnectedness of human and botanical relationships very much includes that. So, what is digitalis? Short answer, a toxin that is sometimes used as a treatment for heart conditions. Long answer? Well, let's discuss. <laughs> as we've touched on, it can be used to help treat heart conditions. 
though for a long while it was mostly known as a cure or at least a treatment for dropsy more currently known as edema or the swelling of tissues due to the accumulation of excess fluid. However, as noted in Maud Greaves' 1931 publication, Modern Herbal, digitalis could also be used in treating multiple other conditions, such as kidney conditions, though small doses, as noted previously, internal hemorrhage, inflammatory disease, delirium tremens, and epilepsy. Additionally, while both are sourced from foxglove, digoxin is a derivative of digitalis, although both are cardiac glycosides. However, as the impacts of uncontrolled compound concentrations are better understood, using direct plant material has fallen out of favor. It's almost impossible to properly administer a dosage of, of raw plant material, especially as a consumable. When it's known that chemical composition can vary widely, particularly when the plant itself can often be so volatile. Instead, while the current source of digoxin comes from a foxglove, it is from another species entirely though just as toxic as the other 27 species of its genus. Digitalis lentana, or the woolly or Grecian foxglove, is today's choice. It is notable that in the development of further advancements in medications to treat heart conditions and related issues, digoxin has seen less use recently. Though digoxin and placebo seem to have the same mortality rate according to studies, there have been concerns as to the compound's general safety and efficacy. According to WebMD, the chemicals in digoxin, the origin of medications like linoxin, can increase the strength of heart muscle contractions, change heart rate, and increase the heart's blood output. However, they also caution that while the foxglove's component parts are potentially beneficial, there are a whole host of side effects to potentially contend with in the event of a strong negative reaction. These include irregular heart function and death, with foxglove poisoning expanding the list to also include nausea, vomiting, excessive urination, convulsions, blurred vision, and the like. That's plenty medicine and must be properly dosed according to the needs of the patient. Moreover, botanically sourced medicines can be tricky as the chemical composition of their components is not stagnant. They, like humans, are living organisms interacting with their environments. They absorb and catalog information they grow and change in response to stimulus, whether positive or negative. In order to work with medicinal plants, you need to know how they operate in as much detail as possible. Even still, I would highly disadvise anyone, especially a layperson, from attempting self-treatment with the foxglove or its constituent parts. So we've gone through 
what the plant is and what it's usually known for and everything. Now, how does it impact wildlife? Essentially, because the foxglove contains potent toxins, it is highly poisonous, or at least a deterrent to pretty much every grazing animal that would attempt to eat it. However, though many humans find the plant fascinating, outside of its native range, it is an invasive species. Most larger wildlife seem to not be as affected, taking a nibble of foxglove, though as with humans, those with a smaller body mass tend to be more heavily impacted. For example, while the toxins are equally troublesome, they likely would not impact a deer as much as they would a house cat or a child. However, that being said, most animals would likely avoid the plant after an initial sampling due to the bitter taste of the compounds it contains. Due to this, the foxglove is often termed a deer-safe plant because they don't want to eat it. Interestingly, while the plants can cause skin irritation in some cases, others are able to touch them without side effects too. So there is also that to be aware of. Also, while there doesn't seem to be much research on the subject, it appears that the presence of foxgloves in a growing space might dissuade wildlife from attempting to snack on any of the plants, not just that one. Interestingly, American foxglove populations seem to have rapidly evolved to the point that instead of their native bumblebee, they're better suited to be pollinated by native hummingbirds. According to a 2021 study conducted by researchers from the University of Sussex, Universidad de Los Andes in Colombia, and Universidad de Costa Rica, they have started to notice these rather rapidly developed adaptations. To quote the study, Foxgloves have long, narrow, proximal corolla tubes. This part of the flower holds the nectar and, by being this shape, they restrict floral visitors to those with long mouth parts, such as long-tongued bumblebees. We found foxglove populations in Costa Rica and Colombia now have flowers with longer tubes at the base. When compared to native populations, there is also substantial natural selection on this floral characteristic in the naturalized populations, said Dr. said Dr. Maria Clara Castellanos at the University of Sussex and one of the authors of the study. Long corollas are a common feature in many hummingbird-pollinated plants likely because this improves the precision of pollen transfer during the pollination interaction. It is also possible that long corolla tubes ex exclude other pollinators that are less effective. It doesn't necessarily have anything to do with the plant's poison factor, nor its role as a medicine. It is, however, rather fascinating and buzzworthy. So, conclusion. Like many things, nuance is important. Depending on the context, the foxglove 
like its derivatives, can pose either benefit or detriment to its environs and their inhabitants. The plant's curative properties have been revered for centuries, though improper dosage can lead to death or other cardiac distress. While it seems rare that wildlife be seriously poisoned from making a snack of foxglove leaves, as they've a rather pronounced sense of self-preservation, humans, especially children, are particularly at risk. Essentially, the smaller the body of the individual, human or otherwise, the harder and faster the plant's toxins tend to take effect. In an instance of foxglove poisoning, it is strongly advised that you contact your local emergency services and poison control. For example, 911 in the US and 999 in the UK. As with other poisoning instances, speed is key in successful treatment of symptoms and the best chance of full recovery. Once again, if you don't know what something is, don't eat it. Don't try to get your friend to eat it on a dare. Just leave the plant, fungus, or other life form to its own devices and move along. Before we end today, I'd like to thank my lovely patrons for supporting the show. If this kind of content is something that you'd like to see more of, patron supporters are able to see episodes a day or two early, as well as have input on future episodes and suggest ideas for future books for the Botany Book Club. As always, all social media links, including Patreon, are in the description down below. I hope you're all doing well. Have a good one, everyone. Run out. See you later.